Who says rock is dead? It always amazed me that you could make you could make millions just on noises you make from your mouth. <laughs> it's a bizarre concept to think about. Um, we we move our. I'm using a short mic stand today, and I don't know why I'm doing that because now I'm bending over like an idiot. And if I pick up my mic stand, then it makes these noises. And then you guys listen and you say, "What is this guy doing? He's not a professional." And you're right, I'm not. But uh, I digress. So, yeah. Um, rock and roll. What is it? You're making noises with your mouth. At some point, hundreds of thousands of years ago, humans were walking around and then one of them just... And the other one was like, hey, that, that actually sounded pretty good. I don't know what that was you were doing, but can you do that again? And then other people stood around. They're like, I like the noises that's coming out of that one's mouth, right? I don't know if they named each other back then. They probably did. Anyway, so yeah, this it, people make millions and millions of dollars off noises that come out of their mouth. It's it's really stop and think about it for a minute, because I guess I guess um, comics do the same thing, I guess, podcasters, announcers, but I think they have to use their brains a little bit more, and that's not an offense to a singer, because if you're a singer songwriter, then yes, you're using your brain and your creativity, and um, it, I, I understand the creative process there, and that makes sense. But if you're just singing, then you're you're just an instrument, right? Uh, it's fascinating. That's a weird thing to think about. Ideas in general, I guess, are are weird to think about because ideas are pretty powerful when you stop and think about it. And I know that sounds cliche, because sure they are. Um, but when you let's break it down, let's break down what an idea is, because. Take your steering wheel, for example. Okay, I thought of this. I had this thought when I was driving home today. That's where I'm going with on this podcast. But I was driving down the road, and my steering wheel has a certain shape to it. It's got little bumps and grooves and things to hold on to. And someone had to think about that. Someone had to sit there. It, it didn't just show up on a computer screen or a, a sketch pad or something like that. Someone had to, their brain had to go, what if the steering wheel had this symbol on it? And what if it had this little grip here? Instead of being a perfect circle, we're going to make it just slightly, what's the word for not a perfect circle? Oblong? We're going to make it slightly oblong. I don't know if that's the word, so tweet me if I'm wrong. Um, and we're going to do this, and we're going to make, and that, that first started in the brains. And then you drew it, so you brought it out, and then you molded it, and then you put it in a, I don't know how they make steering wheels, but I assume you put it in some sort of cast and then you make it and then you mass produce it and you put it on a car and then people are driving around holding in their hands the physical, the physical, um, there's this weird thing in podcasting. We can never remember simple words, the manifest, manifest, <laughs> manifestation of your thoughts. You're actually feeling the physical manifestation of just some synopses in your brain that came together at one point. Because our brains are basically jello. You know, unlike in Hollywood where they depict brains as looking like noodles or something like that, they're not solid organs. If you, you can't touch them. Like if you were to touch a brain, it would be like loose jello. It would just, it would be goo in your hands. And it takes a while. So if you're, if you've ever been to a, 
I don't know, a, a cadaver lab or anything like that, which I don't know why you would be, but I got to work in a cadaver lab. And the brains are, are kind of solid, but it takes a long time for them to do that. Otherwise, they just fall apart and whatever. It's gross. But I work in medicine, and I find this fascinating. So regardless, this gelatinous mush somehow analyzes outside stimulus. It calculates options, and we translate into that uh, some ideas, and then those ideas come out of our fingertips, and then somehow we make these ideas into a concrete thing that you can hold in your hands, like 2,000-pound patio blocks out of the out of my brain. I thought about that because I did a patio this summer, which was horrible. Don't ever do a patio. That's one of those things, after doing a patio, hire someone to do it because it's horrible work. So cool. When you think about it, everything in our lives, everything, T-shirts, shoes, pencils, watches, were born through this process. You know, there's a lot of trial and error, sure. But sometimes, and think about this, sometimes ideas don't translate into reality. Um, just watch the old black and white movies where you ever see those ones where the experimental aircraft are bouncing around and they crash. Um, some ideas just suck. Some ideas are brilliant. Look at the iPhone. The iPhone started in someone's brain, in the, the gray matter of someone's brain, and now you're holding it in your hand. Now I'm actually, no, I'm not using an iPhone for this. But there is one right next to me, not even a foot away. So ideas are powerful. What about philosophical ideas? These are just as powerful. And just like when the atomic bomb was an idea that killed thousands and thousands of people, philosophical ideas have done the same thing. After all, it was the simple idea of communism and socialism that killed over 100 million people in the world. If you don't believe me, look up uh, Stalin's communism or whatever, Joseph Stalin. If you don't know who he is, you're an idiot. But they estimate that, and, and I don't know how they, they, they have these numbers so far off. I don't, I don't get that. But they estimate under his regime, 3 million to 60 million dead. So his vision was to take a country that was just shattered and destroyed by war and um, even uh, uh, revolutionary war and turn it into an industrialized military power. And he was, it was very nationalistic. People were like, yeah, hell yeah, let's do that. And then he killed a bunch of people. Uh, I think they called it the reign of terror. But if anyone opposed him, they just put him in a labor camp and murdered him. So yeah, 3 million to 60 million based on an idea. Boom, just like that. All those people died. Hitler, that was socialism. Uh, it was kind of like a extreme socialism. I don't remember what it was actually called. It was, um, I want to say democratic socialism. Could have been. I don't, I don't remember. National National Socialism, National Socialist Party. That's what it was. Six million dead. Um, but that was just with Hitler. Then there was another 50 to 80 million deaths associated with that atrocity. So think about that. Ideas killed 50 to 80 million. So now we're at, what, 180 million if we go to the extremes of each um, estimation. Che Guevara, the darling of the left. Stupid college, kid, uh, college kids wear his T-shirts. During the Cuban Revolution, Che condemned to death so many people. Uh, I think they said he, it, it, you know, I'm talking out my butt right now, um, but there's something like 14,000 people by the end of the 1960s that he executed. And I understand that he executed people himself. Uh, and it was everyone. It was, you know, political dissenters, gays. He didn't like gay people. But yet, here we go, college kids walking around wearing those on their shirts. Good job, guys. Um, Mao Zedong, communist. The Great Leap Forward killed 45 million people. I don't know what, what number we're on right now. 180 
plus uh, Che. Che was kind of on the mass murderers. He was like on the low end. So, uh, you know, we'll say let's just estimate 15,000. And then now we're up to 45 million. So it's 125 million people so far based on ideas, all from ideas. And some of them, uh, I don't remember there was a politician a few years ago that said that Mao was her, one of her um, idols. Great. That's awesome. 45 million dead. And then you see these um, Antifa walking around college campuses carrying the uh, communist flag. Awesome. To me, that should be the same as carrying a swastika. It should be. In fact, it's, communists killed more people. Um, the killing fields, Pol Pot. I don't even know how many died in that, um, but a lot. So keeping in mind these events in history and how some simple ideas sparked so much revolution, both good and bad, we should have a good standard to compare current ideologies to. We have Hitler to say, okay, this guy wants to secure the borders because we're a sovereign nation. We have laws. The borders have been porous and overlooked for generations by elected leaders. It's time to enforce those ideologies. And then we say, okay, all right, this guy's talking about that. Now let's compare him to Hitler. Okay, Hitler, uh, let's see, he gathered up all the Jews and he put them in concentration camps and they were just killing them, blah, 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 blah. Oh, and this guy wants to enforce a law that's on the books that you can find, well, gosh, I don't know, you know, since they were recording political debate people have been talking about this for years so this guy says i'm just going to enforce that we have to at this point we have so many people that are undocumented we have to enforce the laws that are on the books and somehow that gets compared to hitler but again if, if that's our standard then we should say oh yeah look at um no one's getting put in concentration camps and being murdered and someone was so okay this guy's not hitler but you'll hear it You'll hear Trump is literally a Nazi. He's literally putting people in the concentration camps. And that's just not true. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous to talk like that. Because the odd thing is, if we repeat those ideas enough, no matter how absurd, there's a segment of the population that are going to believe this outright. Here's a newsflash. There are no Nazis in power. There are like maybe a thousand in the entire country that aren't in power. They're just assholes. And I think the FBI keeps a good eye on them. I mean, if you're a Nazi, if you, if you identify as a Nazi, if you were up at, um, where was that last year? Charlottesville. You can be rest assured the FBI knows who you are and they're watching your purchases very closely. There's a, a new show on Netflix and I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's uh, something about terrorists that, that, almost got away with their plot, but the FBI jumped on them in the nick of time. Um, It's fascinating how just little pieces of the puzzle come together and they're thwarting these massive attacks with bombs and all this stuff. So yeah, they they keep their eye on these guys. They follow where they are on on like um, their message boards. I say message boards. It sounds like 1990. I don't know. I I honestly, I don't know where they go, but... um, I will just call them message boards. If they're on there, they're being followed. But I digress, as usual. So where were we? So Donald Trump is not a Nazi. And no, there are no concentration camps. There's going to be no brown shirts coming knocking at your door, rounding up innocent people and taking them away. Um, 
And no, having a conservative political view doesn't make you a Nazi. It's not akin to hate. You know, I know some very loving and smart people who have been lifelong conservatives. Fascism, on the other hand, and and I have to caution myself with this because I I almost sound like I'm calling people a Nazi when I say this. Because I feel like if if you call someone a fascist, today's day and age, it's the same as yelling Nazi or racist at someone, even though they're not. But I have an argument here. And let's see if you can follow along. So fascism, to me, is very alive. And all you have to do is look at modern civil discourse. Civil discourse is the point here. So I pulled up the definition of of fascism, and it is a radical, authoritarian, ultranationalism. Wait. Oh, (laughs) it's a form of radical authoritarianism and ultranationalism characterized by dictatorial power, forcible suppression of opposition, and strong, uh, I'm sorry, strong regimentation of society and the economy. Stop and think about that for a minute. Radical authoritarian nationalism. Now, some people would say the left, they're not nationalists. They actually fight against nationalism. And, and that's true. That's true. Where have we seen this other behavior, though? And I would argue, too, that ultranationalism, you just replace that with ultra-ideologues or the worshiping of leftist ideologies. I mean, if you're a liberal, you have to follow leftist ide- ideologies to a T as if they're canon. And if you don't, you're going to be chewed up and spit out by your peers. And it happens all the time, all the time on Twitter or wherever. Liberals are making the mistake of, I don't know, just not following their their doctrine to a T, and then they have to apologize. Conservatives, on the other hand, you don't have to agree. They never agree. Look at Ben Shapiro. I, I think he started the Never Trump movement. No one cared. He had the right to do that. He had the right to say that Donald Trump is not who I think should be in power. And maybe he's right. I wouldn't, if I had my choice in in today's day and age, I would find a, a good libertarian. But what can you do? I mean, I couldn't stand Bush too there, uh, W. I voted libertarian as much as I could. And I wasn't shunned by fellow conservatives. In fact, I had some great conversations with them. I also had some great conversation with liberals, which is why... I would probably align myself today as a classical liberal over libertarian. But that's just at this point in my life. But these discussions that I had helped shape my beliefs. And I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for for debates and for people saying, you know, maybe think of this and maybe think of that. I loved that conversation is, it's how, it's how, it's how we look. Let's go back to what I was saying. You know, we have our standard of our Hitler standard. And because it happened, we can compare anything that people say today and say, oh, okay, Um, he wants to uh, reduce spending in Medicaid because we're going insolvent in a few years. Um, And Hitler killed six million Jews. You go, yeah, now the cutting Medicaid, uh, there's some merit in the debate, but it's not Hitler. You understand what I'm saying? So let's go back to um, the definition of fascism which I was, I was getting to at the very beginning of this. Forcible suppression of opposition and strong regimentation of society and of the economy. Where, where have we seen that? Try having a political discussion today. See what happens if you bring up Trump 
around a college campus. I mean, you could write it in chalk and people are going to therapy. Not to mention the violence. We've seen it time and time again that conservatives are being assaulted for free speech. They're trying to squelch any sort of open discussion. Look at Berkeley with Milo Yiannopoulos. You might not agree with Milo. Milo said some pretty awful things. But who cares? You're allowed to be an awful person in this society. Your feelings, people's individual feelings mean nothing. You are allowed to have these conversations. And it's through these conversations that we see who are the people that maybe you'll elect into power, who the assholes are, and who has good ideas. Or Ben Shapiro. They're calling Ben Shapiro a white nationalist. He's anything but. I think they've even called him a Nazi. He's Jewish. But you go to these, uh, just look up. Look up Fleckus Talks um, videos, uh, Slightly Offensive. It's not, that's the name of a channel, Slightly Offensive. Uh, look at, basically, these guys just go to college campuses to look at the state of free speech. And it's shocking. It's shocking to see this forcible suppression of opposition. Just today or yesterday, some lady poured her coffee all over some kid who was a, his sister was killed in the Parkland shooting down in Florida. And he's a conservative, and I don't know which college campus he was on, but uh, this woman called him a Nazi and dumped coffee all over him. And she got arrested for assault, which is great. Turning Point USA, another one, white nationalists. Um, Who's the girl? Candace Owens. Look at Candace Owens is a black female conservative, and she's called a white nationalist. I mean, and this goes back to that if you repeat something enough, even though it's not true, people will start to believe it. It's very Orwellian. It's very, it's, it's very concerning. But these people aren't Nazis. They're not. Again, hold it up to our, our Hitler standard, and, and they're not. And it's actually disgusting to label them like that. In the Western world, our Western world, meaning the USA, not not Europe, Western ideologies encompass the greatest cultural freedoms ever granted in a civilization for the sole reason that the American culture has built in the ability to observe itself, critique its wrongdoings, and adjust accordingly in order to make a more perfect society. The Civil War is a prime example, right? Slavery, an abhorrent practice. And then the systemic racism at the time that came in its, foot, in its footsteps, just as despicable. But what did we do? We observed, we struggled, we bled, and we overcame. But it was through that open discussion. It was through the freedom of Martin Luther King to march, to speak. It was through those freedoms that people heard. And when you have, when you have things to say that are honorable and that makes sense, and that resonate with people, those ideas take hold. Our forefathers, they, they were civil. And so too was their discourse, I guess. I mean, if it's anything like um, you see over in Britain when they, uh, I think it's parliament where they scream at each other. So maybe they weren't. But when discourse failed to produce results, society descended into violent upheaval. And it's cost us tens of thousands of lives, maybe a million. I don't know. I don't know how lost, how many were lost in the revolution and the uh, civil war and all that. But out of that fire was forged this great democracy, the greatest the world's ever known as far as I'm concerned. If you don't believe me, go take a chip, a chip, a trip to China. Go over to China and try to Google Tiananmen Square. 
You won't be able to because Google, our Google over on the West Coast, has helped China put in blocks to the outside world. So they're controlling the information and they're controlling the people. Unbelievable. So let's wrap it up. Ideas are pretty cool. Their origin rests somewhere in the metaphysical realm of creativity in our gray matter. Synapse spark and then ideas are born. And from these intangible beginnings, skyscraper rise, rockets soar, and democracies are born. It's really, it's really fascinating. If it doesn't blow your mind how we started off as apes and then we built New York City, it's just, it's just a remarkable thing to consider. Openly sharing ideas is so important because if we crush free thought, we crush the human spirit, and then we're left with a bleak world dominated by fascist regimes. If you haven't read 1984 or haven't read it in a while, read it or reread it. The book is based on this guy named Winston, and he's a government worker, and it's a dystopian future, and it's an authoritarian society. Every part of his life is controlled, waking, working, eating, sleeping, thinking, and even who he's in love with. It's remarkable how our society is flirting with this future. What would it take for you to question your dad? What if he was a Nazi? Everyone hates Nazis. We can all get behind shunning a Nazi, right? This is where language becomes a tool when the truth is manipulated. It's scary to see how many people truly think that because I support due process. If an accusation is made, I want proof. I don't care if I don't like the person. Let's just say I can't stand him. He's the worst person I've ever met. And someone brings up a charge against him. I would not want him to be found guilty unless there was sufficient evidence, period. My feelings about the guy mean nothing. It's all about the due process. So if I support due process, then all of a sudden I'm against women. Do you know how ridiculous that is? But if you can vilify me, you can vilify anyone. And once we have the villains marked, they're easy to destroy. And that's just not good. Wow, this one got dark. This episode got dark. I'm sorry. So that's all for tonight, my friends. Thank you for checking out the Wait What If podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Sullivan. Until next time, we've got a cool uh, interview coming up with an uh, author on artificial intelligence. I have Nate Thorson coming on again, and we're going to chat about blockchain because I don't quite get what blockchain is. And it sounds boring, but it, it truly isn't. It's a, it, it, Apparently, it's fascinating. I don't know. He's going to school me on that. Um, I also have... Uh, who else coming up really soon? Let me just pull up my thing here. Joel Harbaker, who's going to talk to us about leadership and what what how there's a crisis in leadership. Kind of fits right into this episode, actually. But there's a crisis in leadership. We're lacking good leaders. Um, I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. We're lacking good leaders who are in the public. There's a lot of good leaders out there. You just have to uh, find them. So we had a good discussion, and that's about all. So until next time, thanks. Like us on Facebook.com slash WWI Podcast and at WWI Podcast on Twitter. Drop us a line at WaitsWhatIfPodcast at Yahoo.com. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Internet Radio.
hope you enjoyed your listening experience. Now go forth and expand your reality.